This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. My name's Corby Amos. I've been going here a long time, and uh, I think my wife is glad that I'm preaching because I'm wearing a suit. She gets to see me in a suit. It's awesome. All right, so I'm going to do something a bit different today, this morning. I'm going to preach a topical sermon, but here's the thing. It's not my topic. It's the Apostle Paul's topic, and it is awesome, at least I think so. Our starting point will be Colossians 1.13. And in it, we're going to encounter Paul's gospel geography. That's the name of this sermon, Paul's gospel geography. And it's a geography that consists of just two places, two kingdoms. It's a huge, that's capital H, capital U, capital G, capital E, part of the gospel as Paul tells it. And learning about it today, I hope will lead us to a greater appreciation and love for the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Something we all desperately need, I think, on a day-to-day -day basis. So let's dive in and look at Colossians 1.13. It says, for he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. Let's pray. Father God, we pray that you would open our ears and soften our hearts to hear and be changed by the power and the wisdom of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So here's what I want to do. I want us to imagine two kingdoms, two massive kingdoms. If you're a fan of Lord of the Rings, maybe you can think Rohan and Mordor. Um, now each kingdom that you're thinking about should have a king, that's obvious. Uh, you know, somebody that runs the show, somebody that demands your allegiance. And think about that one, that's gonna be important later. Each kingdom should have an origin story, how each kingdom was founded. And each kingdom should stand in opposition to the other kingdom. So they, they should be at odds with each other. So with this in mind, let's turn to Paul and let him help us fill out the details of these two kingdoms. So in our Colossians text, Paul refers to them as the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of his son. I like how scholar Doug Moo sums them up for us. He says this, he says, Paul has sketched in broad language two realms, that's two kingdoms, that of sin and death founded by Adam and that of righteousness and life founded by Christ. So Paul is telling us about a kingdom of darkness founded by Adam, and a kingdom of the Son, founded by Christ. Let's take a deeper look into these two kingdoms and figure out 
how they relate to us. And we're going to start with the kingdom of darkness. In our text, Paul says, for he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness. So what is this kingdom of darkness? And why do we need a rescue? As I thought about how to answer this question, it occurred to me to really grasp what Paul teaches about it, we need to start at the beginning, the very beginning, and see how it began. If we were gonna try to understand the United States, for example, it seems to me we'd start at the beginning, at the revolution, where our country was founded. So just like America had its beginning with the overthrow of an unwanted king, anybody know who that king was? King George, yes. The, the kingdom of darkness began in the same way. Uh, Adam and Eve unexpectedly overthrew the kingship of God. But unlike the American Revolution, the outcome for Adam and Eve's overthrow was a complete disaster. The outcome was the kingdom of darkness. There's a verse in Genesis that gives us the final nail in the coffin for Adam and Eve and shows us how the kingdom of darkness was ultimately established. Let's look at that. It's Genesis 3:23. It says this. So the Lord God banished them from the garden of Eden, and he sent Adam out to cultivate the ground from which he had been made. So here's what you need to know about this verse to understand how the kingdom of darkness got its beginning. Adam and Eve had access to all kinds of blessings in the garden. To name a few, we're talking God's presence and we're talking the tree of life. But Adam and Eve threw all of these garden blessings away. They disobeyed the very God that gave them these blessings. So what did God do? He kicked them out. He exiled them from the garden. He put them into garden exile. Like our text puts it, it says, God banished them from the garden of Eden. Adam and Eve were ejected from the garden into what? The kingdom of darkness that Paul talks about. They were barred from the tree of life barred from God's presence and all the other blessings that came with the garden. Scholar Tom Schreiner sums it up for us. He says this, Adam was intended to rule the world for God, but by virtue of his sin, both he and all his descendants were alienated from God. And instead of Adam ruling the world, death ruled over him. So think about this for a minute. Because Adam and Eve were exiled from the garden and barred from access to God's life, they died, physically and spiritually. So here's the deal. Every human being since Adam and Eve has been born where? Outside of the garden. This means no access to God's garden and its blessings, including no access to the tree of life. 
So what does this mean? What does it mean to be born into exile from God's garden blessings? What does it mean to be born and cast out of the life and presence of God? It means that humanity, that's you and me, is born into death and sin. Born into the kingdom of darkness that Paul talks about. Paul puts it like this in Romans 5.12. He says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. That one man that Paul talks about is Adam. His death led to our death. His sin led to our sin. But it gets worse. Not only is every person under the tyranny of death and sin, Paul also teaches all throughout Romans that in the kingdom of darkness, all are under God's wrath. That's his judgment. No one seeks God because they seek who? Themselves. None are righteous. That means none are right with God. And everyone is under condemnation. That means all are found guilty before God. Think about how horrible the kingdom of darkness is. Any volunteers to move there? All those living in the kingdom of darkness are not, capital N-O-T, right with God. Under God's judgment, seek only themselves, stand condemned before a holy God, and are tyrannized by sin and death. Obviously, the kingdom of darkness is not a place conducive to spiritual flourishing. It's quite the opposite. It's all about spiritual death. And this leads to a really, really, really important question. A crucial question. Who lives there? Who lives in this kingdom? Who is born into it? Who is born into the kingdom of darkness and its tyranny of sin and death? Paul's answer is this. Everybody, everybody is born into that kingdom. The kingdom of darkness is the default address for every person on the planet. Paul just told us in Romans 5 that Adam's death spread to all men. And he says in Romans 3 that all are under sin. Under sin is his kingdom of darkness language. This means everybody's under the power of the sin and death that's in the kingdom of darkness. So everybody begins life under the tyranny of death and sin in the kingdom of darkness. And nobody can escape. It's sin, it's death, and it's corruption. You get the point? A year or so ago, I watched a really cool documentary about a place called Chernobyl. 
It occurred to me this week, I was, as I was preparing for the sermon, that what happened at Chernobyl can help us better understand the kingdom of darkness. On April 26th, 1986, the nuclear plant in Chernobyl, Ukraine, exploded. It was the deadliest nuclear accident in history. Some 30 years later, there still exists what they call a massive exclusion zone. It's almost 2,000 square miles where no people are allowed. Why? Because it's a place that's completely poisoned by radiation. But here's the strange thing. A very strange thing about this exclusion zone. It has life. Lots and lots of life. I made a list. It has bears, wild horses, wolves, badgers, boars, beavers, frogs, toads, squirrels, eagles, fish. You can keep going. You get the point. It's a lot of life. Yet all of these animals that live in the exclusion zone live under the tyranny of what? Radiation. They live under the tyranny of death. And scientists tell us that even though the animals are abundant, they exhibit, I'm going to quote them, dramatic consequences of living in a contaminated environment. Are you making the connection yet to the kingdom of darkness? They're, these animals are living, they're thriving, they're increasing in numbers, but they're poisoned. Yet here's the curious thing, the, the thing that really grabbed my attention. The poisoned animals in the exclusion zone look and often act just like their counterparts in healthy environments. You can't tell them apart with the naked eye. You can't say, oh, that guy, that animal lives in the exclusion zone, he's contaminated by radiation, and that one doesn't. Yet ultimately, they're dying. And there's another interesting thing. Because there's no human incursion into the exclusion, into the exclusion zone, because they're left alone, many of these animals are doing better than their healthy counterparts. All right, let me make a connection for you. God has told us that the way he deals with the unredeemed sometimes is to do what? Leave them alone. There's so many connections here that we can draw. Yet ultimately, none of these animals can escape the problems of being born into the exclusion zone, into that radiation. Born at the wrong address. An address poisoned, a kingdom poisoned by radiation. Fortunately, and we just sang about it in multiple songs today, unlike the poison animals, who can, all they can do is wait for a groaning creation to be put right by God when Jesus returns. Human beings who live in the kingdom of darkness can be rescued and cleansed from the poison of sin and death right now.
Let's pick up Colossians 1.13 again. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness, and look at this. Man, this is great stuff. And transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. I pray that you read that text differently than you did just 15 minutes ago. He has transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. Paul says there is hope. There's a way out. And it comes from God. God can rescue us from the kingdom of darkness, our Chernobyl, and he can transfer us, deliver us, move us into a new address, into a new kingdom, the kingdom of his son. Well, a good question is going to be, how does he do that? How does God transfer us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his son? It happens by being united or joined, connected to Christ and his work, his death and his resurrection by faith. It almost sounds too easy. Some might ask, because I ask sometimes, you're telling me that if we put our allegiance, our trust, our loyalty, our belief, whatever you want to call it, in the person and work of Christ, we're transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his son? Yes. Yes, we are. But it's not just me telling you that. The apostle Paul does too. Let's look at Romans 5, 1 through 2. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, there you go, that faith, that trust, that allegiance, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That peace doesn't happen in the kingdom of darkness. Verse 2, through him we have also obtained, this is my favorite part, access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Paul says, it's our belief, it is our trust, it is our loyalty, it is our allegiance to Christ, our crucified and risen Lord that justifies us, that makes us right with God. And because of this justification, something remarkable happens. Did you notice what Paul says? Right there in verse two, he says that by our faith in Christ, we have obtained access into this grace in which we stand. Right now, if you're a believer. Translation, we've obtained access into the kingdom of the what? The Son. That's awesome. A kingdom where grace reigns, not death and not sin. Paul makes the same point in Romans 5.21. He says this, so that as sin reigned in death, that's kingdom of darkness language, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life 
through Jesus Christ our Lord. I don't know about you, but to me, this is some awesome stuff. And I love how Tom Schreiner sums it up for us. He says this about this transfer. Whereas sin once reigned in the dominion of death. All right, you see that language, right? That's kingdom of darkness. Now grace reigns through the work of Jesus Christ the Lord. This grace that believers received is so powerful that it breaks the dominion of sin, smashes it. Grace does not simply involve forgiveness of sins. It also involves, here we go, a transfer of lordship so that believers are no longer under the tyranny of sin. They are in a new era of redemptive history in which grace reigns. I love that kind of reign. The kingdom of, sun, of the sun kills the power of sin and death over you and me. Why? Because the power of God's grace has obliterated, completely annihilated their power over you. The implications of this for the Christian life are massive. And I want to quickly hit on two of them. The first one's going to be the size of the gospel. And the second one's going to be the power of God's grace. So we're going to start with the size of the gospel. The first thing I hope you realize about what Paul's teaching about these two kingdoms is that the gospel has to be far bigger than just the forgiveness of sins. I want to say that again. The gospel has to be far bigger than just the forgiveness of sins. It has to involve a transfer out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of the sun. Why? It's because our problem is far bigger than just needing forgiveness for what we do or don't do, what some call our sins of commission and omission. Our problem is that in the kingdom of darkness, all of our works and all of our effort are in allegiance to who? God? Negative. They're in allegiance to and in service of sin and death. They are our master. We do for them. So we are image bearers serving the wrong master. I hope you see that. That's what takes place in the kingdom of darkness. All of our efforts, our hopes, our dreams are done in the service of the kingdom of darkness, in the service of death and sin, not in the service of God. 
So what's the remedy? Our Savior must do far more than just forgive us of our sins. He needs to give us a new address to save us and redeem our actions, our hopes, our dreams. He must transfer us out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of the sun. So we can serve him and take on his actions, his dreams, and his hopes, which are all contained right there in your Bible. And here's the cool thing about this need for a transfer. It explains something that always bothered me. I'm going to be honest with you. Let me set it up like this. I know people who are not believers, who are better people than people who are believers. Let me explain that. They serve others as much or more than some believers. They're more sacrificial to others than, than some or many believers. They're more selfless with their time, on and on and on. But this explains why they still have a problem. People who love and help others still have a problem. People who give their lives to making their communities better still have a problem. Good works not only don't save us, but they don't transfer us out of the kingdom of darkness. That's the problem. Only God can bring us the transfer we need. And that's exactly what Paul says in Colossians 1.13. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. I hope you made that connection between the animals in, animals in Chernobyl that look just like the healthy animals. Right? How do you tell them apart? It's difficult. But the difference is the kingdom in which they live. So the second thing I want to talk about is the power of God's grace. That second profound feature of the kingdom of the sun. For those of you right now who are joined to Christ by faith, the death and judgment that result from being poisoned by sin are overthrown completely overthrown by the power of God's grace. Because of this grace, your sin, well, let me be careful here. I'm talking about only those people in the kingdom of the Son. It's your sin that you commit no longer alienates you spiritually from God. It no longer spiritually kills you. Why? It's because your sin no longer takes place where? In the kingdom of darkness. It takes place in the kingdom of the sun. In the kingdom where grace reigns. Remember, we're talking about the power of God's grace right now. In fact, Paul teaches that to enter into the kingdom of the sun, 
is to enter a place where, and here's some cool stuff, everyone is made right with God. Where there's no condemnation. Where Adam and Eve's garden exile is overturned. And where sin and death no longer spiritually kill you. It's as if you've been rescued from the exclusion zone of Chernobyl, the zone poisoned by radiation, and cleansed from that radiation so that it no longer kills you. That's pretty good. I've often thought that the power of God's grace to do that, because it has nothing to do with us, it's all God, I've often thought that it seems too good to be true. I mean, we're thinking people, right? We want to think through these things. Is this really how it works? That seems too good. It, it seems scandalous that God would transfer us into a kingdom in which grace and its power flow so freely. Listen to this. God's grace flows so freely through your sin. And your failure without condemning you. Think of it this way. I'm going to set it up like this. A person who sins in the kingdom of darkness is subject to what? Death. Spiritual death. Yet a person who sins in the kingdom of the sun receives life through Christ. How does this make any sense? The only way it can make sense is if you grasp the enormity of the rescue Christ brought to you. When he transferred you out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of the sun, a kingdom full of grace, to try and help us appreciate the enormity of that rescue and transfer. I'm going to close with a quote from Barbara Duguid. She captures, I think, beautifully the grace-powered life found only in the kingdom of the Son and shows us why our sin doesn't kill us there like it would in the kingdom of darkness something that I think demonstrates the enormity of that rescue. Let's take a look at what she says. If you are in Christ, you are cherished. You are washed. You are clean. And you are wrapped up tightly in the perfect robes of goodness. Wherever you have sinned and continue to sin, he, that's Christ, has obeyed in your place. This is kingdom of the son language here. Let's continue. She says, that means that you are free to struggle and fail. This is good news. You are free to grow slowly. Okay, how many struggle and fail? How many grow slowly? You are free at times not to grow at all. 
There's that scandal. How many of you just tread water, it seems like, for three, four, five, six, seven years in your Christian life? Guess what? You have a new address. You're in the kingdom of the sun, a kingdom full of grace. It doesn't kill you. That is awesome. She keeps going. You are free to cast yourself on the mercy of God for a lifetime. Repeated failure does not mean that you are unsaved or that God is tired of you and disappointed. There's a scandalous grace again. It does mean that he has called you to a difficult struggle and that he will hold on to you in all of your standing and falling and bring you safely home. The place where all this awesomeness happens is the kingdom of the sun. A kingdom full of God's grace. And it explains why there's such a huge difference between sinning in the kingdom of darkness, which brings death, and sinning in the kingdom of the sun, which is redeemed by God for his glory. Today, if you're living in the kingdom of darkness, God's awesome, redeeming grace can be yours. His kingdom of the Son can be yours. But King Jesus is a king. Remember I told you to think about who you give your allegiance to at the very beginning in your two kingdoms? King Jesus is a king, and he demands your allegiance your trust, your loyalty, your life. If you can submit to him, his kingdom is waiting for you. Let's pray. Father God, maker of everything, owner of everything, God of grace, God of love, and God of faithfulness. We praise you for our rescue and transfer. We praise you that the power of grace has smashed the power of sin and death and brought all those joined to your son by faith into the kingdom of your son. And it's in this son's name that we pray this morning. Amen. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin. 
but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12: to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine, almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth is now your loving father and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you wanna spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to Him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where His love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you to come to one of our services. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I can help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.